Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or to donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Here we go. So let's talk about the big picture, okay? Uh, Why are we calling this sermon series Unexpected King? Well, when reading um, Mark, it's important to know that Mark writes with a big picture in mind, okay? It's important to know that Mark writes with a big picture in mind. And so this is so key for any book of the Bible, um, but obviously this is key for Mark. Mark's gospel is not a like, random collection of standalone stories about Jesus. Um, it's actually a book that has been strategically designed to reinforce the author's ultimate purpose regarding the identity of Jesus. So it's not just a bunch of random stories meant to be read in isolation of one another. We realize that actually Mark has collected stories and have pieced them together to show us something. And so this is exactly why we've chosen to call this series Unexpected King. Because even though Israel had long awaited Even though Israel had long awaited the arrival of their Messiah, when he came, he looked nothing like what they expected. Even though Israel had been longing for their Messiah to come, when he finally did come, he was nothing like what they expected. Let me just show you and let me me share with you a little bit. See, Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. He'll wear a crown And he'll wash someone's feet with equal dignity. He'll be equally at home in the streets with the powerless as he is at home in the palace and the temple with the powerful. You see, for Mark, Jesus is the king who defies all expectations. So let me explain how we're going to break this series down over the next 12 weeks. So Mark has 16 chapters. We're going to take the 16 chapters, and we're going to break them down into two sections, okay? Section one is going to be basically a six-week study that is motivated by this question. Who is this man? Section one is going to be motivated, six weeks, and it's going to be motivated by this question. Who is this man? And in this section, we're going to witness Jesus Traveling throughout the region of Galilee, astonishing and puzzling people. And during that time, he's going to make followers and he's going to make enemies. And he's going to allow all of them to formulate their own opinions about who he is. And here's the most intriguing thing. Jesus himself will never say a word about who he is. Isn't that amazing? In fact... He's going to go out of his way to keep his identity a secret. This is like Clark Kent type stuff, (laughs) y'all. Legit superhero, okay? And so, again, this first section is going to be motivated by the question, who is this man? We're going to see Jesus make friends, followers, and we're going to see him make enemies. And he's going to allow all of them to formulate their own opinions about who he is, but he's never going to say a word about who he is. And then we're going to go into section two, which will go another six weeks. Section two will be motivated by the answer, he is the Christ. He is the Christ. And in this section, 
will hear Jesus go public with what he has come to do. Up until this point, he hasn't really said much about why he's come. Well, he has, but he hasn't gone public about one of the ultimate purposes of his mission. And the setting is going to shift in section two. We're going to go from Galilee to Jerusalem. And we're going to witness the unexpected way in which Jesus triumphs. We're going to go from Galilee to Jerusalem. And we're going to witness the unexpected way in which Jesus triumphs. This gets me excited. Y'all ready for this? Jesus will become Israel's king, not by ascending to Israel's throne, but by dying on a cross. And all the nations will have a problem with that because that's not what a king is supposed to look like. His throne will actually be a hill of execution. He's the unexpected king. Now, this is really key. Mark starts with the identity of Jesus before he moves into the mission of Jesus. Because you can't successfully teach someone about Christ's work until you taught them about his person. And in the end, Mark will leave the decision in your hands. Who will you say Jesus is? Now, let's, let's nerd out for a little bit. And let's talk a little bit about the context of Mark. What makes the gospel of Mark so unique? And I want you guys to know, you'll never get this wrong in Bible trivia again. You ready? Mark is not one of the 12 disciples. You ever answered that? Somebody ever said, hey, give us the 12 disciples. You're like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like at the very least, I got four. Well, you're wrong. Don't ever answer that way again. Mark actually was not one of the 12 disciples. In fact, there's a really funny, curious story that Mark writes about. About a young man running away, and him running away, he's getting stripped naked, and he's running. Some scholars believe that that was actually Mark. Because that particular, we'll get there, that particular part of the story is so random and so odd and doesn't even add it in. It's almost like Mark saying, yeah, I, I wrote this book, that was me. But Mark was not one of the 12 disciples. So where did Mark get his authority to write these words, to write this particular gospel? Well, what we are know is that Mark partnered with Peter, who was one of the key disciples. So the gospel of Mark is actually a collection of Peter's eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. Y'all get that? So Mark is writing with Peter whispering into his ear. Now, there are three features about Mark's gospel that should help us grasp this series a little bit better. Number one, if you're a note taker, here we go. Mark's gospel is the earliest. It's the earliest gospel. Mark was written somewhere between 50 and 60 A.D., only 30 years after the death of Jesus. So while Mark was writing, most of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life were still alive. This also helps to explain why you'll see Mark's material in Luke and John, or Luke, I'm sorry, Matthew and Luke. So if you read Matthew and Luke, you'll almost see them writing exactly what Mark put. Well, Mark was actually their source, well, one of their sources. Are you with me? Hopefully you're learning something. So Mark um, is the earliest. Now here's the second thing I want to tell you why Mark is so unique. Mark's is the shortest. Mark's gospel is the shortest. Mark is only 16 chapters, which means it's very easy for us to actually read through it quickly. So here's going to be the challenge for Inspire. We're actually going to partner 
with the message every Sunday and prepare for you a reading plan throughout the week. And so we're not going to hit every chapter verbatim. We're going to hit the big themes and big ideas. But during the week, we'll post on social media the particular portions that we've missed, and we'll invite you to take this journey with us. So we hope that you will actually, for the next couple of weeks or the next 12 weeks, read along with us as we go through the Gospel of Mark. Does that sound good? Amen. Now, let me put his, the Gospel of Mark's shortness into perspective. Are you ready? This should blow your mind. It blew mine. Usually when that happens, it doesn't really blow anybody else's. But I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that this will be. I usually imagine, like, you know, the church, like, wow. And then I drop something, like, okay. So <laughs> I'll lower my expectations down just a little bit. But let me share with you something that I think puts Mark into perspective, his shortness. If you add up all Jesus said in Mark, it would equal 20 minutes of speaking. Some of you like to go to that church, amen? Now look, if you add all the events portrayed in Mark, it would equal about three weeks of Jesus' life. Now I want you to think about this. Mark is basically saying, if we only had 20 minutes of Jesus' word and three weeks of Jesus' life, we'd have more than enough to see our lives totally transformed and eternally impacted. If you don't know the power of the gospel, that's the power of the gospel. All we need is 20 minutes of his words, three weeks of his life. And the entire Christian message can be built on that alone. Finally, number three. So number one, Mark's gospel is the earliest. Number two, Mark's gospel is the quickest. And number three, Mark's gospel is the liveliest. I'm going to try to be lively right now. Right out the gate, Mark's favorite word is immediately. In fact, Mark will mention the word immediately 41 times in the first few chapters, conveying a sense of urgency as Jesus moves from one place to another and one miracle to the next. So why did Mark compose his book like this? Because Mark knew who his audience was. You see, Mark, he wrote to the Roman Christians in Rome. And I want you to know, the Romans were a part of the Colosseum culture. Let me explain that. They were not very mystical. They were certainly not very philosophical. The Romans wanted action-packed stories filled with lots of fast-moving drama. Got it? So that's exactly what Mark gave them. He gave the Romans action, fast-paced, fast-moving stuff. It's like Netflix, right? Just like which one do you want to watch? Some of you guys like the documentaries, like my wife. Some of you want that action and adventure. The Romans would not watch a documentary. They wanted to see action and drama. So the first few chapters will race through months in just a few sentences. In the final half of the book, Several chapters will focus only on the last week of Jesus' life. And in the end, Mark is going to pause long enough for us to look at the cross. He's going to pause long enough for us to look at the cross. So again, for those of you who like to look ahead, we're going to finish this sermon series on Easter weekend, okay? And we got two things planned for you. We're going to have a Good Friday service on April 19th. And Pastor Roger is going to preach on the crucifixion. 
And then we're going to have an Easter Sunday service on April 21st, and I'm going to preach through the resurrection, okay? And throughout this sermon series, Roger and I are going to kind of tag team back and forth. Um, and so I'm sure that you guys will love the mix and blend that we both will bring for that. Amen? So, are you ready? Yeah. That was a long introduction. Mark chapter 1, if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 1, 1 through 15. We'll also have it for you too on the screens. I think we were going pirate mode today, yeah? We got one eye? Amen. Keep giving, keep giving, right? Your giving will help us fix this, amen? Should have collected the offering now, right? Come on, Lord. Anyway. Thank you know, I'm going to totally embarrass them. You know, audiovisual, they only get credit when something goes wrong, right? And so I want you to know it has nothing to do with them. So can we just thank them and love them? Yeah. Not your fault. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Mark chapter 1, 1 through 15. It just means this side, you actually have to read your Bibles. Amen? Praise God. Those millennial churches. All right, here we go. Uh, we're going to read verse 1 through 15 of Mark, and it reads like this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, that boy could preach, amen. He preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So can we pause there just for a second? Mark opens his story with a thousand-year-old prophecy Regarding someone who's going to come before the Messiah. Like any dignitary, before they visit a location, a delegation is always sent ahead of time to ensure proper preparations are being made for their arrival. Even the President of the United States sends teams of people weeks in advance to clear the way, secure the location, and ensure the success of the visit. In the same way, John, who was nicknamed the Dipper, or Baptist, was sent by God to do exactly that. Listen, before God's king would come, God's messenger would be sent to prepare the way. This is exactly what Israel expected. Israel understood, according to their prophets, that before Messiah would come, a prophet like Elijah would be sent to prepare the way. Knowing this, knowing that Israel expected this to happen, look how unexpectedly John came. 
He didn't come wearing any type of official royal robes. But he came wearing camel's hair and a leather belt. He didn't come drinking wine or eating delicacies, but instead his diet consisted of a yummy, tasty morsel of locusts and honey. How many of you would buy John's cookbook? He didn't pick a very good location to deliver his message. I want you to think about this. John came to make the most important announcement of their time, and he chose to make that announcement in a dry, dead, and desolate place. Now, if John the Baptist were a case study for church planters in America, he would have done everything wrong. He wore the wrong clothes. He wasn't very fashionable. He planted his church in the wrong neighborhood. And he certainly didn't preach a positive message. I know many comfortable Christians who would not attend John's services. I know. Nobody in this room. But I know many who would not attend John's services. Did you see that pastor's pants? He was wearing camel hair. Leather belt, eating locusts in a desolate place. That's not the kind of church I want to go to. I want to be catered to. But let me just say this. God doesn't attract us the way we expect him to. And many people will walk with Christ for a couple of, for a season or a time because they think they're getting one thing and they'll realize, wait a minute, he wants something completely different. Let's continue. After introducing John, Mark immediately introduces Jesus. Let's continue. Verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the first 15 verses of Mark. We could probably spend 12 weeks on those first 15 alone, amen? But for the rest of today's message, I just want to simply focus on three essential components of Jesus' message to the world. Scripture tells us that Jesus came what? Preaching. So if Jesus, who is God, is preaching a sermon, then we probably would want to know what is he preaching, the three components that I'm going to talk about for the rest of today's message are this. The kingdom of God, repentance, and the gospel. The kingdom of God, repentance, and the gospel. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. To those in Israel listening to Jesus during this time, kingdom would have automatically triggered 
thoughts of a king. And not just any king, but according to their prophets, a king like their favorite, David. You see, it was said in the Old Testament that a king would come. A Messiah figure would come and restore the kingdom. And so they loved David. They lifted David high as if he were one of their favorite rulers of all time. He was the stuff made of folklore. And so when Jesus would say that the kingdom of God is at hand, they would immediately begin to think of King David. Now this next part is so important. Their expectancy of a king and kingdom like David's caused them to long for and look for. Are you ready? Their expectancy of a king and a kingdom like David's caused them to long for and look for more of a militant Messiah and political savior than a suffering servant. Are you with me? You see, they wanted someone who could feed them. They wanted someone who would give them free universal health care. They especially wanted someone to protect their borders and overthrow the occupying Roman force. In a way, they're not very different than us today. Y'all know where I'm going. Can I share with you something, people of God? The beauty of the gospel tells us that in Christ, we have what everyone in this world still looks for and longs for in a sinful man. The beauty of the gospel, if you're a Christian and you put your faith in Jesus, tells us this, that we have what everyone in this world longs for and looks for in a sinful man. You see, more desperate than humanity is for national security, more essential to us than food, clothing, and currency is the need for every single one of us to be delivered from the oppression of Satan and the bondage of your sin. This king and this kingdom has come to deal with your heart above all else. So he first calls you to repent. Please, Christians, don't find your messiahs in political figures. Some of you evangelize your favorite political figure than you do Jesus Christ. And you're on both sides of the aisle. So Democrat, I'm not just talking about you. Republican and everyone else in between, I'm talking about you. Please don't turn. This, please don't get it twisted. We've come to proclaim the kingdom of God. Don't get me wrong. I believe we are to be good stewards of the vote that God has given us in this country. Amen? But ultimately, I want you to know that our Savior and our Messiah doesn't come in the form of a political figure, but has already come in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. You can tell I'm very passionate about that kind of thing. So this Messiah says repent. So what does it mean to repent? What is repentance? I love this. God knew that he'd fill his kingdom with subjects who were lost. (laughs) 
God knew that he would fill his kingdom with subjects who were rebels. Any rebels in the house? God knew that he would fill his kingdom with subjects who were lawbreakers and enemies and haters of his word. So he made a way for them to enter into his kingdom by calling them to turn from their sin and turn towards him. What is repentance? Repentance is an acknowledgement of your sin. An acknowledgement of our sin. It's you and it's I taking ownership of our rebelliousness towards the word of God in our hearts. And in our thoughts and in our actions. This is so important. Repentance is not just feeling sorry. That would be regret and remorse. Repentance must include the mind and the will of man. Repentance can have emotions and it will certainly have thoughts. But if those things are not followed by a change of behavior, then your repentance is not genuine. If they're not followed by the fruit of a changing of behavior, then the repentance is not genuine. And please write this down. If you write anything down, write this down. Repentance is a lifelong duty because we are lifelong sinners. Amen. Repentance is a lifelong duty because we are lifelong sinners. Repentance is a mark of the identity of a Christian life. As followers of Christ, guess what? We are always repenting. We're always turning away from our sin and desiring to grow closer to God. Repentance is a lifelong duty. Jesus said this, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And I'm going to have the worship team get ready. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. I want you guys to listen to this. None of this works and repentance never lasts unless it comes as a response to the beauty of the gospel. Your repentance must be compelled and drawn out by love. In fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope that will save humanity. The gospel of Jesus Christ is your only hope. This morning, if you haven't repented and believed in the gospel, there is no hope. The gospel is the only hope for humanity. Not more food. Not more security. Not a stronger military presence. Not more political figures who know how to talk the talk and walk the walk and seal the deal. The gospel is the only hope for all of humanity. I've heard it said before, and we're almost finished, so please hear me out here. I've heard it said before, the gospel is not just the diving board by which we jump into the pool of Christianity. The gospel is the entire pool itself. You see, some Christians think gospel is entry-level stuff. Pastor Phil, why don't you preach on something else? No. It's the gospel. Pastor Phil, why don't you go here? Why don't you? Yeah, we'll, we'll cover that, but 
It's the gospel. Because if I preach a message without the gospel, I'm just preaching moralism. I'm just saying be good so you can be a better person. Well, guess what? You can't be a better person. Nobody is good but God. So the gospel will always be preached in this church. As long as the inspired church is alive and breathing in this city and in the bay, the gospel will be at its center. And if you get tired of the gospel, it's because it's lost its beauty to you. And maybe you need it to be re-preached. As long as Inspire exists, the gospel will always be the center of everything that we say and the center of everything that we do. So what is the gospel? Remember when I told you who Mark wrote his book to? It was predominantly to who? Romans. I want to tell you a story. You see, the Romans were often engaged in battles and wars somewhere far off in the distance at the edge of their empire. And as they engaged in battles far from Rome, the city would often wait anxiously to hear news about what had happened. Were they winning? Were we losing? How severe are the casualties? All of Rome would be on edge. Now listen, whenever Rome experienced victory on the battlefield, they'd send a rider coming into the city carrying a message. And you know what that message would be? You and Gilead, you and Gilead. You and Gilead, this is Greek for good news, good news, good news, gospel, gospel, gospel. The battle has been fought and the war is over. Rome is victorious. Good news, gospel. You and Gilead, the battle has been fought, the war is over, and guess what, Rome? Your country has prevailed. Good news. Good news. Good news. This is exactly what Mark wanted to accomplish in the opening line of his book. The beginning of the euangelion. The beginning of the good news. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark is telling his readers, I'm not writing a biography. I'm writing a gospel. And a gospel is not a genre of literature. It's an announcement of good news. The Romans would have immediately understood in this book, Mark is going to describe a war, how it was fought, and how the victory was won on their behalf. So what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, it's this. For those of us who are aligned with Satan and guilty of sin, for those of us who are stuck in union with Adam and deserving of the full penalty of the wrath of God, there is good news. You see, even though we are unable to secure victory for ourselves, Jesus Christ, on our behalf, has secured the victory for us on the cross. And now, to those who would repent and believe the good news, you have 
new life in Christ, relationship with God, and eternity with Him. Mark said, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. As we take this journey together, we're going to witness the messenger come riding in every Sunday, declaring, you and Gilio, you and Gilio, good news, good news, you rebels, you haters of God's word, those of you united with Adam in your sin, those of you who said, I hate you, God, those of you in here who carry hurt and anger, good news. You are not condemned in Christ. If you would just repent and believe the gospel, even those sins that you think have disqualified you, you know that one that you're ashamed about, that one that makes you feel like you shouldn't even go to church because a lightning bolt might hit you, I want you to know that there is what? Good news. That even that lightning bolt sin that only God knows about, if you would repent and believe in the gospel, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus and his death on the cross will become your substitute. And he would have taken all God's wrath for you. And now you can be free in Christ. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. You know, sometimes before we go back into our week before we go back into whatever's going to happen this week and maybe even after the week has passed and we feel like we got kicked around all week it's always good to have the burden released it's always good to come in here and know that if your faith is in Jesus Christ your soul is secure no matter what happened what's going to happen that in him we're made complete we're made perfect and so, Heavenly Father, I just pray for everyone in this room. Lord, I pray for those in this room that maybe are not followers of Christ. Maybe they're here today just listening and seeking. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would draw them closer to Jesus. That they would know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only salvation in heaven and in earth. Lord, and I pray for every Christian in here. Lord, I pray that we would be drawn back to the gospel. If we made it about anything else, we've been living our life expecting you to bless us, upset at you because you haven't given us what we wanted. I pray that we would repent and we'd understand that in the sacrifice of Christ, he's given us everything. We are all sufficient. Why would we need anything else? You've already done it. You gave it to us all. And so even as Christians, we repent if we've strayed away from the gospel and have started to stare and look at other things. We cast down all idols in our hearts. And we put Jesus where he belongs. And so I pray, lastly, for this church. May Inspire Church and churches all over the Bay Area not stray away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. May this Bay, may the reputation of this Bay be shifted from God-haters to lovers of Christ. And may it start with, our church may start with Inspire, or may we be a part of it. So Lord, I just thank you, and I glorify you. I thank you for this beautiful gospel. I thank you that your way was so much better than our way. 
I thank you, unexpected king who took his throne unexpectedly. Jesus, we love you. So I pray a blessing upon the connects this week. May we dive deep, know more of your word. And I pray a blessing upon everyone here today. We keep them and cover them as they leave this place. Lord, we honor you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless y'all. Thank you for sticking with me today. Uh, God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a wonderful day.